Randy, Randy the Man ma Savage. The Macho Man Randy Savage. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. And what was so macho or oh, Randy just, about him? You just need to see pictures. <laughs> he was I mean, he was both macho and Randy. And he used to wear a... He just he, shawl? He wore the, the kind of caper that you're getting up to there mm. with that shawl of yours. It's like a, an Angora superhero cape, isn't it? Oh, good Lord. Pictures are now being shown of Macho what? Man Randy that Savage. That nothing like me. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't look like you <laughs> facially, no. Oh. But, but, he, but his get-up, no his one, garb. No, he's got tassels hanging off his sleeves. He's not wearing an Angora superhero I, I don't cape, disappoint. He? I don't want to disappoint you, Chinch. I'm not certain that is Angora. There's a, there's just a, if you Google image, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, you get an, an excellent offering of a T-shirt that you can buy that Rory, I think, would very much suit you. I've got a Macho Man Randy Savage T-shirt. Oh, right, OK, you've probably got Is it right. the one I've got? Is I don't know. grey with an orange Macho Man? No, it's grey sleeves with Macho Man saying, oh, yeah. I like that, yeah. Yeah, no, I, d I don't... What's he saying When's again? your birthday, Gene? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if one can have too many Macho Man Randy Savage t-shirts, but I fear that I, I, w I, might be, I might be running the risk. What I'd really like for my birthday, if anyone's, if anyone's listening, is an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt. Oh, an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt. I've been looking okay. for a long time, but they're very expensive. Steve, you're currently writing notes. Can you... Um, if, well, actually, Terry Hardcastle is currently making, <laughs> making notes about the crime scene. Terry Hardcastle! <laughs> Steve today is wearing a, uh, an ensemble that makes him appear like he is an early 1980s TV cop. Yeah, I'm a child of the 80s. What's the yes. problem with that? I, I'd say the main supposed issue, to grow up. The main, the main <laughs> issue is that Steve currently looks far too cool to be spending mm. time with any of us. Yeah. You should not be podcasting. No, when, you should be out on the cool. tough streets taking down people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> ran out of steam. I've never, I've never, yeah, I've never heard yet. Chinch do a voice. <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. How, how often do you whop out this voice? Quite often. In the privacy of your own home. Yes, in yeah. the bedroom. <laughs> yes. We've heard, we've heard Take your trousers. Rory. Well, Rory does lots of voices. Does no, he? I, no he, I, I do one voice, voice a lot. They're all oh, similar. Yeah. Oh, it's Sean Dyche. I do my Sean Dyche I thought you Excellent. had Camp Yorkshireman as well. Oh, I do have Camp Yorkshireman, yeah. yeah, who's based on a variety of people that I know. He's not so much camp. He's more... This is going to be interesting. Slightly... He's not camp. Is he, he a fet? A little bit of feet. A feet. A little bit... Not a fet. Um... No, but it's more to do with Boba Fett. It's the type of Boba. It's still know, going. It's still going. Well, we carry know, on. We know lots of people in Yorkshire who say things that they think are completely innocent and and you know are totally fine and clean, but they actually sound in that specific accent, that mm. kind of Dale's accent. They sound quite dirty. So he's more innuendo Yorkshireman than camp Yorkshireman. A double entendre Yorkshireman. Yeah, yeah. Although he'd call it a, du a double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> man walked into the bar. Ouch. <laughs> what? No, actually. A woman walked into a bar, asked the barman for a double entendre, so he gave her one. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, I like that. One of the only jokes I can I remember. like that. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is being displayed by Rory. No, it's not. The food is being displayed by Kate. No, it's not. The food is being displayed later by Rory having cooked it. That's it. And it, it will be, and it will be displayed in our first ever Al Fresco set piece menu. We're outside. In we Manchester. are outside in Manchester for the forty-five minutes window that we've got, um, and it has already clouded over since the idea yeah. came to yeah. Rory. Yeah. So Chinch is wearing his Lenny Kravitz scarf. Steve <laughs> is dressed like Terry Arcastle. Terry Arcastle. And uh, Rory has his maroon jumper, which actually is what you wear every day anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. 
And I, for I the slight, first time... slightly resent that, but go on. I, for the first time, have worn my... Uh, Fine, I thought you didn't like it. My uh, Whalers t-shirt, but I've had to cover it up because it's a little bit chilly. I mm. agonised for ages over which was the best NHL t-shirt for you, and I, I've not seen it since. Partly I put you a, chose well. Partly I put a jumper on because I'm, I'm also wearing an NHL retro t-shirt brought to you by CCM. <laughs> uh, wonderful brand. Would yeah. recommend them. Sponsorship opportunities, obviously, always, always welcome. Uh, and I... It, Wearing it reminds me that I still haven't paid Steve for it. <laughs> <laughs> so you wear it every day. Incrementally, you've paid it back just by displaying so it. at the end of this podcast, I will be doing a bank transfer. Oh, excellent. Well, don't, don't worry, because the, the credit card bill has not been paid yet. So it's That's fine. fine. Are you just going to pay the minimum amount? Is that your plan? Oh, no, no. Always clear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, helpfully, um, we have now given you a reason as to why there may well be some strange noises that accompany us yeah, over doing, the next few minutes. They're doing work on the house opposite and have been doing it for about two years. Uh, they don't appear to be doing it very quickly. Uh, <laughs> well, it, but the, the work they've done so far looks excellent. But it's, it's been, an, it's been a, an object lesson in why you should never do any building work in Manchester, just like six days out of seven, it's raining. Um, so they, they will start drilling at some point and then have no progress to show for it later. <laughs> well, if, if, if it starts drilling to such an extent that it becomes frustrating, uh, we will move. But at this point, we have the birds tweeting, the slightly chilly wind getting up, and some potential drilling. A lovely clematis. Lovely clematis. Isn't it yeah. clematis? Clematis. Clematis. We also have our washing. Clematis. <laughs> and the, the washing. We Which have you're under lots of baby grows. If the weather takes a turn for the worst. Yeah, if it starts spitting, I will be up. I'll be casting off my microphone and, and bringing that washing in, let me tell you. So I'm Hugh Ferris. With me are Rory Smith, who looks like a tramp or a toddler, depending on the length of his facial hair. Stephen Wyeth, whose voice sounds mellifluous or sensuous, depending on which wife of the pod you listen to. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who resembles either a hunk or a hooligan, depending on how many tattoos he has on show. Um, a quick public service announcement before we begin. Uh, we are now on the TuneIn app. Um, a few people have wondered if we are available on Android phones, for example. This is one of the ways. Stitcher is another. There's the Overcast app as well, Player FM. I'm sure there are more. Uh, we'll have to wait a little longer for Spotify and Google Play, uh, but we are working on it. Well, actually, strictly speaking, they're working on it. We're just sitting around hoping, kind of like your opposite neighbours. Working on it, other people just sit around and wait. Is that, is that the correct term for the people who live in that house? Opposite neighbours? Well, I don't really know. I, I had to describe it in a way that suggested that people knew what we were talking about. Have you seen them over there, there doesn't really help on an audio Do people medium. live there? No, well, they haven't for a long, long time. They've been having the work done. They've moved out. Oh, I see. Oh. So they're not neighbours. It's just a house, an it's, inanimate object. It's just a, it's just a shell. Uh, you can get in a shell like all of our souls. Uh, you can get in touch at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who tweeted and emailed after last week's pod um, about apologies, and particularly after Patrick Van Arnholt apologised for scoring the goal that sent Stoke down in the Premier League. Uh, it was extraordinarily well-timed from Patrick Van Arnholt, so thank you. Uh, also on Twitter this week, a helpful infographic to deconstruct our Buffalo sentence from episode 74. So head to at setpiecemenu menu for all of that. It has also led to many asking if they are buffaloes yet, as we have decided that this is our shorthand for friend of the pod or regular contributor. The decision, can I say now, will be made by me, and that decision is as final as it is arbitrary. So, for example, Mike Coombs, who has sent this email entitled, first time emailer, long time buffalo. No, Mike, no. One day maybe, but there will be no self-bestowing of the great revered and not at all made up on the hoof title of buffalo. I like there's a good joke in there, <laughs> on the hoof. Yes, beautifully done. Uh, that's why it's worth writing some things down. 
anyway, Mike goes on to say, unapologetically enjoyed the pod this week, fellas. Entitlement in fan culture definitely needs addressing. Couldn't agree more that walking through the turnstiles or paying subscription fees doesn't guarantee you anything. That's why we all love the game, isn't it? Many who support the top six in England are brainwashed to think a defeat is worth the, worse than the end of humanity. This is mainly shaped by the pay TV media, forcing a belief that these six teams should and can all win every trophy on offer simultaneously. I think entitlement is perhaps more understandable, though not correct, for fans of any club who pay their hard-earned cash, feel they need to be at the games week in, week out, and want to get entertainment value for money. I'm a long-suffering Leeds fan, but there's no way I'd pay to watch Allardyce or Pulis football every week. If we were back in the Premier League, I'd simply stop going if they took the reins. The matchday-going fan experience must be made more affordable, and there should be less league football on the telly, as much as I, like everyone else, I assume, loves it, and it pays Chinch's wages. Mm. And I know he didn't say that, I did. And I know this won't happen. By the way, good to see Chinch ironing out those creases in his knees on the pre-pod warm-up uh, last week. You can also go to at Setpiece Money for that. Uh, I have a question about whether there is any other type of Leeds fan other than long-suffering. <laughs> is there any kind of any fan? I believe that that is a tautology. Newly suffering? No. Because as soon as you watch them, you're in pain. <laughs> <laughs> also this from Kieran Laverick. Hi, Steve. And then Hello. Rory, Hugh and Andy what? in brackets. So Good. that's the that's thing that's developing rather much to my disgrace. He's got donut custard on his <laughs> microphone. What kind of professional <laughs> are you, Hardcastle? <laughs> uh, Kieran he says... He doesn't play by the rules, Chin. <laughs> that's it, Terry I Hardcastle. get custard on my microphone if I want to. And you are not going to stop me. <laughs> Listening to your last episode, says Kieran. Uh, yes, remember, Kieran, about apologies, number 74. I enjoyed the thought that a lot of social media activity seems orchestrated by the club or a media manager. This in reference to, uh, you may remember, some of the player tweets that come post-match not appearing to be, shall we say, particularly heartfelt. So Kieran says, I'm a Newcastle fan. He doesn't mention anything about long-suffering. And win, lose or draw, our captain, Jamal Lascelles, tweets out about the fans being amazing. Now, admittedly, Newcastle fans are a bit precious about their atmosphere, but as a season ticket holder, I have attended games where the fans haven't really engaged or in some cases have been toxic and a likely detriment to the team. Yet on Twitter, Jamal will still have thanked those in attendance for being brilliant on social media. He isn't the only one, just the easiest example. Ayose Perez is another. He goes uh, to extreme lengths sometimes, often having edited images featuring self-promoting graphics and other nonsense that goes out very quickly after a game. Surely this is further evidence that some players aren't all that genuine on Twitter with apologies or thanks, or maybe they are, but are given a directive to mention something by the club, i.e. in this case, how great the fans have been. Keep up the good work, says Kieran. I've been a listener since day one. Bit braggy, but thanks. The, that's a really interesting, there's a really interesting idea f for a future pod in there, which is whether atmosphere itself is a myth which I think is something we should write down on our long list of ideas. Not the Earth's atmosphere. Not the Earth's the Earth's atmosphere. The, the idea of atmosphere at a drown, whether, yes. whether it, it is a myth, and mm. there's lots of examples. Newcastle is one of them. Um, I don't think in that case that Newcastle are telling LaSalle and Perez to tweet. I think LaSalle and Perez are both minded to tweet to say thank you to the fans, and I think that is in inherently a sweet gesture. Whether they mean it... Absolutely, is a different matter. The trouble if they're copy and pasting it, yeah. it's the same message week after week. Then I don't like that. No, they are they are either minded to do it or their minders have told them to do it. Yes, yeah. There's always pl and this is probably like a pre-Twitter thing, but there's all some players are better at at full time going to all corners of the ground and applauding the fans, whilst others just head towards the tunnel or do their thanks from the centre circle, don't they? So it's, I suppose it's a similar mentality. There are, there are those who believe that it's it's part of the role or they want to ingratiate themselves to the supporters and others who are a 
a little bit less bothered. Would you? Would you? Are you a waver from the centre circle, or would you do the perimeter, Steve? Would you get close to I your think colleague? I, I what think about the slide and the joined-up hands? Well, no. I think if I made it through 90 minutes, I'd, I'd earned a lap of honour. Really? So, <laughs> so the fans would get that. Yeah. Uh, also, remember Andy <laughs> Jessup from last week. He's the Bristol, Bristol City fan from Columbus, Ohio. Well, he said he was looking forward to going back and listening to the previous recordings at the end of his original email. I then said, "Hurry up and do your homework." Andy has emailed saying. Challenge accepted. He says he's motored through 19 episodes so oh my far. Word. Good he going. says, my goal is to be a buffalo listening to an episode in Buffalo eating buffalo wings. So again, more homework, Andy. However, I'm very concerned about your put-downs, he's talking to me, um, to Andy. They are very funny. <laughs> this is why the email's in. And I fear you may get burnt out. So this week, I think you should have a week off. With that being said... This is what he suggests I should have done at the beginning of the show. Mm. My name is Hugh Ferris, presenter and collector of seven baseball caps. With me is Stephen Wyeth, commentator and collector of seven hubcaps. Rory Smith, reporter, and there's a bit, bit of a demeaning there, reporter and reporter. collector of seven bottle caps. And Andy Hinchcliffe, former player and collector of seven kneecaps. So that well, would be I good. wish like I had that. seven kneecaps. Like uh, so thank you to Andy. Uh, that's that's it from you, Andy. I want radio silence until you've got through all 75. Thank you. Next to Shan Ramachandran, who, with this piece of correspondence, becomes a buffalo. Congratulations. So congratulations to Shan. Surely a big moment for you. Shan emails to say, just caught up on a 10-episode backlog whilst away, and I'm loving the pod. The Nerves episode was exceptional. Uh, episode 69, everybody. I have recently witnessed a moment of pure unadulterated footballing joy. One of our running themes here on Set Piece Menu is your moments of football joy. So, Shan says, whilst in India, I went to an Indian Super League match. Half-time arrived and a player passed the referee the ball. This referee decided that this riveting game, it was 1-0 at the time, needed enlivening. And he attempted to do a rainbow flick and catch the ball. Unfortunately, all he managed to achieve was flicking the ball into the back of his head and falling over. <laughs> Brilliant. Keep up the good work and take care from Shan, who is a new Buffalo. P.S. says Shan, please thank Chinch for the Tunnock's Tea Cake based soccer story. I've been craving them ever since for at least the last two months. But unfortunately, there isn't a single place in either India or Bhutan where they are sold. When I get back next week, that is the first thing I'm going to eat. Thanks, Chinch. Thanks a bunch. We actually, no, we actually have flavoured tea cakes over here. We have an overabundance of... We have too many tea Send cakes in this country. India. Send them abroad. <laughs> Bhutan, you're the orange, welcome. The orange ones are delicious. Bhutan, I believe, only has a certain number of foreigners who are allowed in every year. Is that the same about tea cakes and foreign well, uh, chocolate-based goods? If tunnets have, have struggled to get a salesperson yeah. in, <laughs> I see. that might be the yep. issue there. Yep. Yep. Uh, and finally for now, from Ravi Veach, who signs off with Future Buffalo. Here's hoping, Ravi. Here's hoping. At the turn of the year, I was looking for a new pod that enjoyed chewing the fat on sport as much as I do and came across Set Piece Menu. At first glance, it seems you all enjoyed chewing, both figuratively and literally, Steve, so I thought I'd Why give it a go. I joined at episode 62 and have enjoyed your company sufficiently that I've now gone back into the annals to dig up more Set Piece Menu content. This morning, which is the morning after Liverpool made it to the Champions League final, uh, that he writes... I started listening to episode 36 on my commute, where the focus was on whether the billions of pounds spent in the transfer market was actually going to improve teams. In the episode, Rory proclaimed that Liverpool had no chance of making the Champions League final, and at best would make the quarterfinals. Based on the timing of me listening to this episode, it did make me chuckle. Sorry to point this out, Rory, says Ravi, but I thought it was quite pertinent considering part of the next episode, i.e. this episode, will cover the predicted league table, which unfortunately he missed out on um, because of how late he was to the set-piece menu party. 
He then goes on to make an excellent subject suggestion, which has been added to the very impressive list that Roy mentioned earlier. So uh, many of you have contributed to that. Thank you very much indeed. But yes, we will be looking at the SPM PL Predictions League table of SPM current listeners' standings later. So stay tuned to see how awful Rory is at that as well. I don't, I, I don't think I should feel too bad for not predicting Liverpool would be in the Champions League final, if I'm honest. Did you make that prediction before or after the draw? Because the draw was a bit of a gimme. Uh, the, it would be bef- after the group stage draw, I guess, be in the group stage. No, it wouldn't have been. It was uh, beginning was it of August. Beginning so the group August. stages are drawn at so the end of August. Before the whole thing, before the whole shebang. Yeah, I d- that doesn't seem like a, a, a reckless prediction, does it? I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that on paper, Liverpool's team is not as good as uh, four others in Europe. The team that's, uh, it's tragic that I know this, but yeah, I think it's fair to that the team that started the season ranked 21st amongst European clubs yeah. reaching the Champions League final is a bit of an unexpected achievement. And that, that's not to say it's not an achievement or to belittle it in any way. It's just that it, it is un, unexpected and I, I don't feel I'd, I'd guilty feel, for not expecting it. I feel it. a little grubby, but not totally ashamed. Okay, good, yeah. It uh, dovetails rather beautifully um, into our subject this week because it will form something of a subplot you're to very, our subject. You're very good at this, aren't you? Actually, you helped me do that. You're so that was not planned at all. So then, to our subject. Bayern Munich won the Bundesliga on the 7th of April. Manchester City wrapped up the Premier League title just over a week later. PSG managed it on the same day as City with a 7-1 thumping of the defending champions and their nearest rivals. Barcelona did it before the second Classico of the season and with a record-breaking unbeaten run too, while despite us craving both a title race and perhaps a different winner, Juventus will duly take a seventh Scudetto in a row after Napoli's challenge faded at the crucial moment and tears were shed around this very table. Uh, So we're asking today, who or what is going to make next season's title races in Europe interesting? And is the jeopardy and maybe mystery now being provided by the Champions League after Liverpool and Roma got to the semis? And the final will be contested by the teams, as things stand, third in England and Spain. Is this a generation of predictability in Europe's top leagues? Or will something change to make next season's title races more interesting? Well, I think the answer is uh, is yes, and we can all go home. Well, I already am home, to be fair. It is worrying <laughs> how... Uh, Again, audio medium, it's very helpful to describe where we are at all times. You lot can all leave and I can stay here. <laughs> the, um, I think it is worrying how predictable the bid five leads have got. And it, 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 we should point out at this stage that there's a lot of sort of minor leads around Europe, the lesser leads, second and third tier leads that have been like this for a long, long time. I did something on it in February about Bate Borisov have won 12 in a row in, in Belarus and Olympiakos are on 19 and 21. They've lost it this year. Uh, Switzerland was the same. Basel, I think, had won eight in a row. Young Boys Bern won it this year. So we're seeing bits of bits and bobs of changes in some of those leads now, which is really encouraging. But sadly, it seems as though the, the top five leads have kind of have flipped around and now and now have become these personal fiefdoms for for certainly for Bayern, PSG, and Juve. Uh, the Premier League, you'd say, is maybe a bit more in the balance, but it's very hard to see City slipping up massively next year. We are drawing this conversation from a lot of little conversations we've had that affect it in the past. We've actually talked about the Champions League last season becoming too predictable. Too many times you've got the, the big three if it's Bayern, Barcelona and Real Madrid in the semi-finals. That hasn't happened this year. But I can join that. I can join the logic up. Don't worry, that's fine. Okay, that's to come. That is the subplot as yeah. uh, previously uh, predicted. Um, so that that, that's something that we've talked about and that, that's gone against the grain. We've talked about other teams dominating and they haven't. We talked about, you know, Monaco won the league mm. last year and PSG were saying they're now going to dominate for years and we thought they would dominate and they didn't last year. So 
there is an an essence of beautiful unpredictability that we've often referred to in lots of other different subjects, which hopefully will draw together and have a very uplifting conclusion that everything is going to be amazingly exciting, but there is a sense that it will be fighting against the grain more than ever before. I think that's why people clung on to the, to the Napoli story this season and why the way they faded over the, the last couple of months, they, they've gone through a, a run at the, at, at the time of recording of dropping points in six of their, their previous 10 games. So fatigue has, has played a factor in ultimately them not being able to supplant Juventus at the top of, of Serie A. But I think people almost subconsciously realised that this was going to be one of those outlier stories. If Napoli could win in Italy this season, it would be that one, as you referred to Monaco in France last last season, Leicester still in recent memory in the Premier League, that you need one of those stories every so often just to destabilise things, don't you? And we're not going to get it in Italy with Napoli this season. And the concern would be now that when are we going to see it again? Those, those clubs are, are strengthening, if anything, their, their dominance rather than being reeled in. Uh, Roma had a, a club record points tally last season, couldn't pip Juventus to the title. Napoli will almost certainly improve on their points tally from last season, but Juventus have responded doing likewise. So it, 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 it's starting to feel like it's, diffi- it's difficult to envisage which one of those top four or five clubs that dominate their domestic divisions is, is going to fall away. Well, two things need to happen. <clears throat> the top clubs need to either fall away other clubs chasing them need to raise their game. So which is more like it's... You can't see the top clubs suddenly all imploding, can you? Not at the same time, but you can't even see one of those teams falling apart over the next five years. So surely is the challenge for the teams behind them. But can they can they raise their game? What can they do apart from financially? What can they do to close the gap and make it more of a contest in, in these leagues? So I think the problem is that the gap is now so big yeah. that, that even if... So the, the, the German approach has always been that it's better and you, you wonder if it, they're trying to justify it to themselves a little bit but you speak to people at the Bundesliga and what they will say is that it's better to have the German model where you have one super team and then well realistically two or three just below that Schalke, Dortmund maybe Munch and Gladbach and then five, six, seven who might be pushing for a Champions League place because they say that, that means there's t- ten teams give or take who go into the start of the season thinking we could get into the Champions League we could win the Cup we and, could do and that's been quite an interesting race in Bundesliga yeah, this and, year and as a rule that is true so every year I mean I, I, I've not looked at it for a while but certainly until a couple of years ago Germany and Spain had sent way more teams to the Champions League group stages than, than England had and the Germans always felt that was a better model than the Premier League model where you, you have now six teams who are a cartel and are not going to be shifted uh, who with you have to throw. You have to say Leicester at every point, but as a rule, six teams start the Premier League te- season thinking we, we're aiming for the Champions League, and the other fourteen, as we've seen this year, are avoiding relegation. That's, yeah. that's the basic idea. With maybe Everton, in bet- Everton, and Leicester <coughs> in between, and the Germans have always felt that's a better model. The problem, I think, now is that whereas before, if Bayern slipped up you might get a Stuttgart or a Wolfsburg or whoever winning the league because Bayern will have one or two bad years in every ten. Now, if Bayern have a bad year, they only win the title by five points. And that's, that's, that's the problem. You, me- you mentioned last week on the podcast about how Bayern had responded from starting the season really badly. They're actually going... This is, this is their sixth successive title this season and their margin of victory will be greater than at, than at any point during those previous five. So even in a season when they started the campaign and che- badly and changed manager, 
they've still been able to accelerate away from everybody else. And and those those top teams, the teams fighting for the the. the the other Champions League places have been taking points off each other. Yeah. Well, we've seen the dominance of the top clubs across Europe now. Are we getting to a point when it becomes, in essence, pointless for those teams to play in their own domestic leagues and the European League has to become closer and closer? Because what is the challenge for these top Apart from the Champions League, what is the challenge if they're going to keep dominating as they've done and presumably that will continue over the next five years with all these clubs? What's the challenge for them? A European league playing each other, isn't, isn't it getting closer and closer to that because of the dominance we're seeing from these top? We've not had it like this in all those leagues for ever. No, it's ever been like it's this. Never been and like it's this. only going to get worse for the clubs trying to chase them down. It, so is the argument to say, well, we, we need to, this is, we might as well take those, if you said 10 clubs, away and play and maybe play across the world, play in China. America. What is the point in playing in your domestic league if you're just winning it by a street season after season? I'm really trying to take Chin seriously, but it's very difficult with that. With this macho man Randy Savage shawl on. But what's a point I've made? <laughs> what a point. Look it's past the shawl. But we're going to do a part about the Euro- European Super League and, mm. and how it might the genesis of it might be because of the World Cup in 2020. I'm just wondering whether it's getting closer but, but because of this ridiculous dominance of the all Champions these. Not just one League, side, all these sides. If, if you're Bayern Munich, you, you are, your success is determined about how far you go in the Champions League. And you, you've mentioned, Rory, before about Ernesto Valverde may well not keep the job at Barcelona because they didn't do as well as they should have done in the Champions League. Many will say, even though they're going to win the league extraordinarily with this unbeaten run. So it's, it's about the the sense of success at the club, that, that the kind of the club's desire to feel like it is doing well, and not everybody can win the Champions League. Mm. We we had an email a little bit earlier on about the fact that the fan entitlement is undermined by the fact that you cannot have your team winning everything, and then there are six clubs saying that in the Premier League. You have to understand that if you win one, that is good. You can't win all four. That is ridiculous because not everybody can win everything mm. simultaneously. So not all of these clubs that are winning the leagues domestically can win the Champions League. So they, they are all going to eventually, or five of them, or four or five, four of the five, are going to be disappointed at the end of the season. Is that not enough to drive them forward and to motivate them? Because they can't all win the Champions League every year. So there is, even though you say, what is mm. the challenge? There remains a challenge because they will they will judge their own success yeah. by the but Champions not, League yeah. and they can't all win the Champions League. Well, they can all win their own leagues, but, but they can't yeah. win the Champions League. Only Real Madrid can win the Champions League. Oh, that's that, that's, that is another rule. But then I'm starting to think, well, would you want the Champions League as your league games? Then it becomes a real challenge week after week it, against the top sides. But that's that's the question again about the European League and what it means for everybody else left behind. But it's just getting, again this dominance. You're, probably, you're absolutely right. Winning the league, we tick that box. We know that's going to happen. We chase the Champions League down. So Bayern Munich fans, when are they happy? They, are they happy at they the end happy? of the season? Okay, they've not won the Champions League. They win the league by a street. What kind of season is that? And what do Bayern fans think we've underachieved this season because we've not uh, got uh, close to winning the Champions League? It would be interesting to hear from fans of wouldn't of it be lovely and, and Bayern and, and and PSG, I think that they would regard that as a seven out of ten, good, not great season. Mm-hmm. They've done what they've met expectations. They've, we've talked about this before. That if, as a manager, your job is to surpass expectations, then that will. If, as a manager, success is defined by surpassing your expectations, then PSG and Juve and Bayern have all met their expectations. They have won the league. They've won it easily. They should do. Uh, and so he's winning the Champions League, surpassing their expectations. Yeah, I yes, it's still, I it's still apart from for Real Madrid. Apart yeah. from for Real Madrid, yeah. Real, Real Madrid are the only club 
who nail their colours to the Champions League mast at the, the start of any given season. The rest of the elite clubs, their official position is that winning the domestic league yeah. trophy is their primary goal. So it's Real Madrid's history that gives them the longest saying that, this is... Yeah. They, 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 it allows them to not, not win the league and well, no, yeah. that's, not yeah. have a go at themselves. Yeah. You, can flip, you can flip that on its head, though, and say that Real Madrid are actually the only of those, only one of those super clubs who have the nerve to, 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 to jack the lead in, basically, to say... We, d- we don't mind as Bayern will sack a manager for not winning the Champions League they are capable of that but at the same time if if they th- but at the same time they wouldn't consider sending out weakened teams in the lead or they wouldn't as we saw with Ancelotti they wouldn't be like well we're third in the lead that's fine as long as we're doing well in the Champions League they 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 judge themselves by success in the Champions League but winning the lead is as Steve says is kind of their, their bread and butter it's what they it's what they expect Real Madrid are the only team who will say right do you know what if, we, if, we, if we're going to finish third or fourth as long as we win the Champions League don't really care and they've become so dominant domestically that they they can build a squad that is capable of challenging in both competitions the league and the Champions League Juventus and Bayern have won their divisions at a canter whilst also trying to win the Champions League whereas if you look at you know Liverpool there is a combination of results that could see Liverpool finish outside the top four so that is showing that the toll that a run to the Champions League mm. has taken on their ability to finish in the Premier League's top four so that's where the difference is there are, there are teams for whom it, it's, it's a stretch to be able to try and do both and there are those who are so strong now that they are able to yeah. effortlessly combine those two challenges I think the problem Chinch mentioned earlier, you know, it, it's kind of incumbent on the on the teams beneath the level beneath to try and raise their game to try and match them. And we've seen, obviously, Napoli this year, Roma last year in Italy, Monaco made it. Uh, you've had challenges from Dortmund, Schalke have done well this year in Germany. Obviously, Atletico Madrid deserve credit for kind of being there and thereabouts. Valencia have had a good season. Um, Severe in previous years have, have not necessarily mounted title challenges, but they've been close-ish until sort of February March. I think the problem is partly that the gap is so big financially partly that the gap is so big in a, in a footballing sense the depth that these teams have is to an extent ridiculous um, with with a slight caveat but the other problem particularly in Germany and Italy is that it's really hard to build anything when the dominant team keeps taking your best players yes. so if you Bayern have, have, sim- have systematically decimated all of their rivals I spoke to someone in Germany not that long ago who said that what might be the salvation of the Bundesliga is the money in the Premier League. Because if you're Mönchengladbach or if you're Leipzig or if you're Schalke and you've got a player that that Bayern Munich would ordinarily take because everyone wants to play for Bayern, you can now legitimately look Bayern in the eye and say, well, that's fine, but Arsenal are offering us 30 million more. We're going to sell, him, sell them to him. So his the guy's view was that it might well... What stops Bayern's inexorable rise is the fact that the Premier League can can outbid them. So, use a player as an example. Do you think that Bayern would have been in for somebody like Naby Keita at Leipzig? I think ordinarily, yes. And I, I, they, they will certainly have been interested. The idea that... I, I, find, I find all transfer stories hilarious because you get these stories about saying such and such are watching, you know, Bayern Munich are watching. Now, of course they're watching. He's on TV <laughs> every week. He's playing in the same league as them. I'm they, watching they him, but scouts. I can't afford him. There's, there's, there's like 300 top-class footballers in the world. They're watching all of them all of the time. Shouldn't we... We've talked about dominance being a bad thing, a negative thing, almost nefarious, particularly in the, the Bayern case that we've just been talking about, about ransacking uh, their nearest rivals. But shouldn't we actually 
turn it into a positive, pay tribute to the incredible levels of dominance that these teams are displaying. There are so many examples of teams who have the best manager or the best players, the most money, and they don't succeed. It's the, it's the millstone that has been around Manchester City's neck. Everybody said, you've got the best squad, why aren't you winning every year? Mm -hmm. And winning everything every year. Well, it goes to show that it's, it's not always possible to do that. The things don't correlate. So why... Why do we talk about this as if it's a bad thing? Shouldn't we be saying Bayern Munich are incredible what they've done to hold off all these rivals, albeit with tactics that we've discussed? Juventus have managed to, with different people like Napoli and Roma, like we've said before, they've managed to hold them at bay. And this season, they've managed to do it from behind towards the last stages of the season. So there are incredible levels of achievement that we should surely pay tribute are, are we to. Saying, we're we? not saying it's all bad because of what these clubs have achieved. It is absolutely incredible. We're looking at the, the spirit of competition, mm. are we? Is that what everybody wants? Yes, you can you can glory in all the, the fantastic teams and performances and titles and everything else. And that's why these teams have been so dominant for so long. And I, I, I'm sure we do applaud that. But we're saying, well, if that continues and continues, are we still going to be enamoured with these teams and probably not and, and stability is admirable in the cases of the likes of Juventus and, and Bayern Munich to, to name but two but surely having stability from a position of strength and success is an awful lot easier than yeah. if you're one of those teams playing catch up there's going to be very few even if there are frictions or divides behind the scenes those aren't going to come to the surface all the time that uh, silverware is being one it's, it's those ones that are striving to catch up where maybe differences of, of opinion or or a lack of stability would be exposed but i think maintaining that success is something that maybe we do take for granted a little bit and we tend to say oh they've got the most money or they, they just sign all the players but to we know we know as, as you said we know from there's plenty of examples of teams who've signed a lot of players and it's not worked and appointed managers and it's not worked and the fact that they've maintained it is is remarkable and is maybe something that is overlooked and that perhaps their own consistency makes it look ordinary when in fact it is extraordinary but i do think there's an interesting thing with football that, that if you think about usain bolt when he was winning medals at every world championships every olympics no one at the start of the 100 meters went well this is a bit of a fate accompli isn't it this is a bit boring uh, usain bolt's probably gonna win it uh Johan Blake will come second. We know what's going to happen. Uh, let's turn over it and watch the javelin or whatever. But it's, it was <laughs> the, 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 uh, the witnessing of the, the next chapter in an incredible story. Why? That's how it was yeah, framed. And that's absolutely right. Usain Bolt was an incredible athlete and, and it was special. There was that kind of spine tingling sense of, of watching history unfold. And his charisma as well and the way, yeah. the way the showman that he but, was as but well. But he was very quick. You could he was also, he? also very quick. Good he turn was, of pace. He was very fast at running. If, if he was a, a young English footballer who'd have been brilliant at 17, would have gone to a World Cup, mm. spectacularly failed mm. and then been retired by the age of 21. Yeah. Really, really would have put the frighteners on the fullback, wouldn't he? <laughs> frighteners on the fullback. Not full me, wouldn't <laughs> then, then, <laughs> then not kicked it. People would have encouraged him to get in behind. <laughs> well, we, 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 we can't we, run with no legs, Steve. Your position Stuart way. Your, your positional sense was so good yeah. that even the fastest man who's ever lived wouldn't get past you. That's, that's, that's it. If you get touched tight with him, he's going to give you a problem. But you just step <laughs> off, appreciate what he's looking to do. Ball over the top, chinches their first throw. In. <laughs> <laughs> that's John Salako's way of describing uh, football as well, which is excellent. I really enjoy it. Oh, John Salako. I really want a John Salako tangent. Can we do a John Salako tangent? Do you want one? John Salako on Soccer Saturday. 
it's just extraordinary. <laughs> he does that thing that Soccer Saturday, which is a Sky Sports uh, program on Saturday afternoon when all the games are going on. And when he, he doesn't really do it anymore, I don't think, does no, he? No, he doesn't, no. He, he used to do, we used to watch it, didn't we, yeah. Chinch, you and I? And we hilarious. used to find it absolutely hilarious because what he would do, he'd do that really short, sharp, excitable, everything is brilliant, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, absolutely brilliant, Jeff. Oh, yeah, the cross has come in. He's nodded it down. It's gone wide of the post, nil, nil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something's happened at Swansea, John. Tell us all about Ball's got crossed in. He's far post. He's rolled like a salmon. Defender's no in it. Keeper doesn't have a chance. It's bounced over the bar and it's a goal kick. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing's happened. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. <laughs> Nothing happened. Nil, nil. But hang on. Hang on. That is, that is definitely a trope within Soccer Saturday. The... There's also a radio equivalent, and I'd be interested if you two have ever been guilty of this. That if, when you're listening to a match on the radio, which is one of life, life's great pleasures, I think we, mm. can all, we can all agree, you'll, you're in the car, you're listening to your team play, and so you're quite stressed. It's nil-nil, it's a vital game. And you, you, you suddenly hear Alan Green get really excited, and it's the ball's moving forward, coming down the wing, here's such and such, beats his man, beats it, another one, and the, turns around, and he's not the runner, and it's gone out for a throw on the halfway line. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that exciting, was You it? forgot to tell me that he had started from his own byline, yeah, exactly. and he had moved 40 yards up the field. The... So anyway, you've got you just got to listen to the crowd. Yes, ignore you do. the commentators. Yeah, you listen do. to the crowd. But back to Usain Bolt. The, is the culture of superstar is different to a to a culture of super team. He's uh, elevated his sport, just like Tiger Woods did golf. It's the culture of the the superstar over a super team. We follow the journey of a superstar, and we are a fan of that superstar, but we don't necessarily follow a super team in the same way. Don't appreciate the super team in the same way because we probably support another one. And feel very differently and, about and them, those, the collective those as opposed to the individual. needed those individuals to elevate them further up the sporting pecking order. Because otherwise people would notice that golf is terrible. Was that like, like Tiger Woods in golf? Yeah, yeah. But t- golf was more popular and there was more prize money. That Tiger Woods drove the prize money up and... And the sport is still missing him, even though it's currently got a handful of superstar players all competing for the major trophies. It, it was better for golf when one man was winning a majority of them in the same way that it was better for athletics to have Usain Bolt there winning the 100 metres every time because that was filling the stadiums, that was raising the profile of other athletes, not just those who were competing with him, but those who were competing in, in sports adjacent to when he was competing. And, and athletics has got a real problem filling that void now, whereas we don't have that with football because the Champions League can survive without Manchester United reaching the quarterfinals because there's five, six, seven, eight other super clubs who were who are just as attractive to the, to the viewers. And I suppose you could say the same to, to cite an American sport. The, the identification of the Chicago Bulls era in basketball was always with Jordan and Pippin. It wasn't with the Bulls as the as the franchise. It was Jordan was the superstar. You can identify a superstar in the same way as what Barca and Real Madrid often achieve is, is dressed up as being basically the sole pr- responsibility of Ronaldo and Messi. We, we, I agree with that completely, but I I don't know if that's right. I'd, I'd take, take your point completely about the, football doesn't need elevating. It's the most popular game in the world. It's It's... It, I'm sure it can grow. I, I don't necessarily think it needs to grow particularly, but if you if you think about France, where PSG will pack out stadiums that are never normally full because people want to see PSG, where viewing figures are up because PSG are on, where the the uh, the where the, the foreign TV rights have increased in value because of Neymar, because yeah. of Mbappe. The same with Germany, they would say that Bayern are the kind of the juggernaut that breaks down the door for the rest of the teams. Not only do they kind of increase the commercial value, the TV value, all that stuff, they raise the level 
So Dortmund and Schalke, although they've not had great years, certainly Dortmund and Schalke have had a good year, are probably better than they would be if Bayern were not so untouchable. So it does. there is probably a lot of the stuff that we ascribe to the individual superstars like, like Tiger Woods or Usain Bolt, you can probably say there is an equivalent effect, an equivalent co- consequence of Bayern or Juve or whoever. And we've spoken about uh, the difference between having one dominant power and, and, and six fighting and whether one, one might be better than the other and, and financial reasons sometimes it is, is one of those um, supporting facts to, the, to having one dominant. But I, I, what I don't understand is that there are so many, and you bring up American sports, the dynastic element of, of, of American sports. No, they, they, they are celebrated a little bit more. When, when a team dominates, because it's much harder to dominate in the structure of American sport, they are, they are celebrated because they are almost beating the system to be able to do that. Football doesn't work like that. And yet, generations gone by will tell stories about Brazil 1970, about the Dutch in the 70s, about club sides, about Real Madrid in the 50s and 60s, and about um, those incredible teams of time gone by, and they will still talk about them, and yet those dominant teams are stuff of legend, and the dominant teams now are the stuff of... Fear and nightmare. Fear and boredom and and nefarious futures. Do you know what the difference is, and it's the same in, in the US, is that those periods of dominance were finite. So... Bayern won three three European Cups in a row. Ajax won three European Cups in a row. The squads broke up. Yeah. You know, Ajax were, were pilfered by Barcelona and various other people. In US sports, because of the system that's in place, it, as you say, it's harder to dominate. The Patriots have made a decent fist of it. But you are all, always at the mercy of, of the way that the sport is structured. The problem that we've got in Europe, and I think part of the reason why the, the interpretation is different, is it's really hard to see any of this ending. I, I mean, we'll, you will always get a Leicester. That's what football is is basically relies upon that, that there is always the possibility that everything will go wrong for all of the big clubs but the, but the fact that Leicester but the fact that Leicester's happened makes it less likely for Leicester it to do, happen at any does. time in the near future partly because certainly within the Premier League and I would guess throughout Europe the big clubs looked at it and thought right we can't have that again because they, they don't think it's good for business they, I spoke to the chief executives at Premier League teams big six Premier League teams who said that, that one year of Leicester fine it's romantic everyone loves it there was loads of global interest all that Two or three years of you know Leicester one year, Southampton the next, Wolves the next, or whatever. It's bad. It makes it look like the Leeds tin pot. It makes it look like these big teams aren't very good. They can handle one year of it, not not anymore. So they will all have looked at, at Leicester and thought, right, that's that's fine. You have your fun, never again. But football does trade on the idea that, particularly in England, but I think all over the world, that you never quite know. In Germany. Bayern could completely implode one year. They are all these teams are getting older. Juve are old. Bayern are old. Real are old. Barca are old. That we're living in a post Neymar. This is maybe the reason to be positive. That all four of those teams are getting older, and they don't have to rebuild in a world where the average price of a decent transfer has just jumped by about fifty million quid. That's and everyone knows they've got money. Everyone will be charging a charging a, a, a premium for them. So that is maybe the the source of hope. But apart from that, it's really hard to see any of their eras of dominance domestically coming to an end, and that's why it's not celebrated as much as as it would be as it would have been in the 70s or as it would be in US sports, because you can enjoy a dynasty when you think this might be five years. You, it's really hard to enjoy a dynasty when you think, well, this is the future. Well, it might end, and then in 30 years' time, we'll say, wasn't that a great dynasty? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and and we'll we'll reflect more favourably on Real Madrid's dominance of the Champions League during the current era, probably in 10 years' time when we're all, you know misty-eyed and wasn't it great watching Ronaldo at his absolute pomp we will remember Real Madrid as we remember the West Germany team that won the 1974 World Cup 
we will admire them, we won't love them. Yes, that's, that's you my, may well be right. That's my prediction. But, but it, you, talking about Juventus, and Italy is a good example. You Napoli have literally thrown everything at trying to win the title this season. They've given up on except, all other... Except money. Yes, but in terms of keeping their squad together, yeah. and there's been criticism of the coach for not having a, a larger squad or using a larger squad, but they said, no, we are go- we, this, is, this is the way we're going to play. These are the 12 or 13 players that we're going to entrust with doing that. We're going to sacrifice other competitions. We're going to go for it. At the same time as Juventus are tr- trying desperately to win, finally win the Champions League and Napoli still haven't been able to close the gap. So uh, let's finish by referring back to our question, who or what is going to make the title races in Europe next season interesting? So what's going to happen? Incredibly difficult to predict, but we'll do it anyway. Is something going to happen to change it? Can there be anything to change it? Uh, I think if you you want, only my my humblest of opinions. Uh, (laughs) Of all of the opinions, this is the most humble. Of all of my opinions, this is the humblest. Uh, I think overall the the fact that those those big four teams apart from PSG so Juve, Bayern, Real and Barca are all getting older mm. I think that is the thing you have to cling on to and the fact that it's going to be really hard for them to replenish their squads without spending vast sums of money that certainly in all of those cases they don't have the Barca, do, Barca don't have the space in the wage bill to, to bring on four or five massive earners uh, nor do Real Bayern won't break their wage structure it seems they, they're not going to start paying 350, 400 grand a week Juve, I don't think can. They're too sensibly run. So that that that's the one thing, kind of overall. And then there's the individual thing. So you don't know whether Juve's the kids they've got out on loan are going to be any good. You don't know what Bayern are going to do when someone eventually notices that Iron Robin and Frank Ribery are both 90. <laughs> uh, Real have shown that they're not. You know, they're not necessarily a force in the lead and the Champions League at the same time. Barca, kind of vice versa. It might be that one of them decides, Barca might say next year, right, we have to go all out for the Champions League. They might jack the lead a little bit. And then there's other there's teams that are just on the cusp with a few right decisions might might make it. But they will all be exceptions. It's funny, the, 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 the way of feeling positive is essentially to feel negative. About so the good competition, teams. we've got to hope that maybe the transitions for all the big clubs go a little bit worse yes. than, than we hope. Yeah. And that could open things it's up. It's a test a of how well run they are. Yes. Spain could be interesting in, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona potentially reaching points of, of transition, uh, you know, p- players moving on. Italy is is an interesting one where financial fair play is a, an issue for some of the clubs trying to chase down Juventus. It'd be, if, if Inter can get their act together with a good squad of players and a good coach in Spalletti, they demonstrate in the first half of this season that they were capable of putting runs together if if fatigue doesn't set in they can maintain that they could be the one worth uh, with, mm. worth looking at in, in Italy but can't see anything changing in Germany and, or and, France and then we should we should mention the Premier League I was going to say we haven't mentioned Manchester City because City do have a younger squad than most of the ones that you were talking about yeah, but it's harder to dominate in the Premier League as we've many times we've we've explained they've not, they've not made it look that hard but they've they've done something that they have at the time of recording, they are about to break a lot of records. They haven't quite done it yet, but it, you can assume that they will break all the Premier League records, the significant ones, by the end of the season. So, given that, is the only thing that will stop them the fact that Guardiola is not going to stick around forever? Or are we relying on the other teams to, to catch up? I think or is it the fact that they've broken all the records this time? They think, well, what, what, what is there to do? Is there a lack of hunger that might take, even though the, the, the right noises have been, have been made since they won the league? So, I think 
the fact that the other teams have all got a lot of money is significant. There's, you know, United can go and throw another 300 million quid at it, and Jose will, will claim that he's brought loads of young players through. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I've done it. On, I've done it on, on, on the whatever the Portuguese is for bare bones. Um, the well, Manchester United is a good good example because when when Fergie re- regenerated his teams, that was considered one of his finest achievements. Understanding that uh, it's kind of easier to do it for three years in a row because you're using the same group of players mm. but to do it for 10 or 12 yeah. or 15 years ago that's three generations worth of players when he bought Ronaldo and Rooney year after each other there was a right this is the new generation coming through he won it all again and he'd done it twice before then I think that was his third generation of players it's an incredible achievement so for a team to be able to do that whether it's City they might have a younger group of players so it's it's easier for them for the next few years but if they want to do it for 10 they're going to have to do it again Barcelona Real they're going to have to regenerate and that that is the biggest achievement surely we could say at the end of the era that they had managed to, to, it, to it, do if you don't notice the end and the start of a new era that's when yeah that's 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 the real achievement but then yeah, I think you have to kind of say that that Bayern, Barca and Real and you, well, to an extent, you've, they've probably done that already. They've probably already made it through one era of dominance and made it into, made it into at least a second. I would have said if seven, eight years. Yeah. You're not talking a three-year cycle. You're talking, yeah. If that that's really interesting, we should maybe have brought that up earlier. That that Fergie was always praised for that. The Man United's dominance of the Premier League, which looking back on it was almost absolute. Mm. And there were challenges from you know Arsenal and Chelsea, what have you. But, but like other teams, like other teams in Germany and Spain, they have flirted, yeah. but never stayed. Yeah. Whereas United were always there. That was never seen as as a negative for the Premier League. It was it was almost the best of both worlds. You had challenges, but also this this dynastic power. So would would Guardiola, I presume while he's there, it will be relentless. But if he has a fantastic five years. Will he either burn himself out, or will he then say, right, it's my job now to regenerate this team? And go again. He's never or will done. he? Or will he say, "I've done my job." I what think else he feels like I've set things up. I'm off. He's regenerated in his first two yes, years. Yes, yeah. That's his regeneration, so that the, the next three yeah. he won't have to. I, he's never done it before. He could change his mind and decide that he wants to do it. I think it's this before the longevity yeah. of modern coaches yeah. is a lot less. Yeah, than Mar- Mourinho has never so. done it before, yeah. and he hates the fact that he's accused of that yeah. as well. Mm. The the other thing with England is, as well as the fact that the, the other teams all have so much money, so they are they are capable of um, of challenging a bit more maybe than than teams like Dortmund and Schalke who have this massive financial for- shortfall compared to, to to Bayern you know it's very hard for you to hear United complain about how they've been outspent by City when they themselves spent 250-300 million quid the other thing is that that Guardiola will well the club want the Champions League Guardiola personally must want the Champions League because he's not won it for quite a long time he's not won it without Messi which uh, is and he's never won it that, without becoming Messi becoming something of a millstone the, his rec- and in fact his record in the Champions League isn't brilliant since he last won it it's not it's not bad obviously but it's not three semi-finals with Bayern is that right? Yeah. three semi-finals yeah, with Bayern three and then, then a, a last 16 and a, and a quarter final with City yeah. the, so you wonder whether City might focus a bit more on the Champions yeah. League next year and as we've seen with Liverpool although obviously City have a deeper squad that does at some point start to impact your form. The thing is, you don't, you, you cannot, on this, the final point before we finish, but you, you can't focus on the Champions League. It's very difficult to focus on the Champions League because there's only any point in focusing on the Champions League when you get into the last eight, really. Yeah. Because if you're good, you're going to get through the groups without really any problems. But so you have, to, you have to rotate throughout, and this is, what, this is the one thing that Klopp deserves a huge amount of credit for, you have to rotate early on in the year, risk dropping points to make sure you're competitive at the end of the year. Now, I, I, I'm sure Klopp was doing that with a view to the Premier League rather than the Champions mm-hmm. League. I don't think Klopp was expecting to, to get to the Champions League final. But 
he he rested his players early on in the hope that they would be fresh and fit at the end of the season and it's broadly worked they've been a bit sort of bedeviled by by injuries that I don't think you know Oxley Chamberlain was a contact injury and all that stuff but Guardiola if he wants to have City competitive not just in the Premier League and the Champions League but the Champions League as well might have to sacrifice a little bit earlier on in the season and the risk there is that not necessarily that they don't win the title next year but they, they might drop two four six points over the course of three months that will give the others hope Hmm. So the gap won't be quite as big. The great thing about the Champions League is you need a bit of luck yeah. along the way to win it. You need a favourable draw. You perhaps need a refereeing decision to go your way when maybe it shouldn't have done. And you know what? Whereas domestically, as a general rule, the best team wins the title, the best team in Europe does not often win the Champions League. It's someone for whom along the way... Something and, and Liverpool have been a great story this season. It's been it's been thrilling the way they've got to the final. But they they got a great group draw. They got a great last sixteen draw. They caught City cold in the quarterfinals, and then when it came to the semi-final draw, they avoided the top two ranked teams in the competition and got the team ranked twenty-fifth, Roma, over two legs. So you need those sorts of things to go your way. That's yeah. not to take anything away from the achievement, but you do need a bit of good fortune. And the flip side of that is that is that Liverpool probably did beat the best team in Europe. En route. In, yeah. in so the therefore, League. they, they mm. take that mantle. You beat them, you are them. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> but Steve's, Steve's totally right. The Champions League is a knockout competition. You, and you it's why, why managers, we spoke at the very beginning, yeah. say that the, their priority is to win the league because they know that is the best reflection of the best of team their work, yeah. of their work. And, so. and, 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 and the flip side to that is that Real Madrid, who will play Liverpool in the Champions League final, had an unbelievably difficult group, even though they were still the best team in it because they had Dortmund and, and Spurs. They, they had tough draws in the in the last 16 the quarter final they got the hardest possible draw in the semi-final they still got to the final yeah. so that shows unbelievable resilience mm. it is time for never mind Jack Inori what a soccer story this is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed so you ridiculous shawl wearing pimp look alike what have you got for us today that's, that's the big build up isn't it thanks <laughs> for that well you'd be well within your rights to refuse to, uh, to no uh, my public today. need me Stephen <laughs> um, I say our public need yeah, me. Yes. Well, I was at a, working the other day, a red-hot Premier League match, and I was doing my notes as the players were warming up, and I was watching the players warming up. I think we've all done this, and you're kind of watching them tippy-tapping the ball around, and some of them seem really kind of at it and ready to go, and there's others who kind of don't look very... You know, there's players who's kind of doing juggling it and stuff like that, and they don't look really bothered. I know primarily that's the subs but you see this with the players that are starting as well and I was thinking God, these modern players overpaid and poncing around can I say poncing around poncing around is fine poncing around and I'm I'm sure like, wait, a minute, wait a minute thinking back to my day there were two distinct groups of kind of players and the way that they went about their training when I was at Everton Nicky Barnby and Gary Speed were two fabulous footballers but proper professionals I learned so much from just seeing how they conducted themselves they're always in an hour and a half before training they started to warm up before we started the warm-up Gary Speed Nicky and you're thinking this is maybe why these guys have got to the level that they've got to so you're thinking well maybe that's that's the benchmark for, for professionals and that's something that I thought well I need to get because I was just laying on the treatment table generally injured. <laughs> when I'm when I'm fit again this is what I'm going to do but then when I went to Sheffield Wednesday you see the flip side of it now Des Walker Apparently, he made 69 England appearances consecutively. Okay. So, an incredibly oh, wow. consistent player, but someone who genuinely hated training. 
who Ron Atkinson and every coach who worked with Des didn't want them in the training ground because they were so disruptive. They just, it was, but on a match day, I've never seen anyone with the ability to be the best player having done no training during the course of a week. And when I was with England, Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman, they, when they came up, the, the training kit looked like it had been soaked in a bath before they put it on. They just looked so... As if they shouldn't be, as if they're like pub players. But then, what they could switch on and do, it's really upsetting. You know, when you're playing, you work really hard at trying to improve yourself. And you get these people who look like two bags of Liverpoolian spanners <laughs> come out onto a training ground. And you just think, what are you... Cla-? And they don't seem to have any, like, muscles. Well, Steve, Mc- uh, Steve McManaman didn't have any muscles at all in his legs. But Robbie Fowler, it thought he can't be a player. How does he do it? And then suddenly, they have that ability to just switch it on and be brilliant with seemingly no groundwork. Now, I think that's really upsetting But it's ironic for a, for a hard-nosed <laughs> pro like myself. It's ironic that you take exactly the same approach to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, do I? <laughs> no groundwork. But maybe that's the system. I, I was looking at you three and thinking, on. if you, like, laughably, if you'd ever made it to the professional ranks, <laughs> what kind of... What kind of attitude, what kind of approach would you have taken? Lazy. Do you think you'd be a Nick Barnby, Gary no. Speed, or would you be the... Have you ever seen Rory Steve Smith play football? Thankfully not. Rory Smith does not run around. Steve, I think, could be... I'd have been first on the training ground yes. and last off it, because I would have been all too aware of my limitations. Steve is ultra-competitive, the entire wife family is. Ferris, what about I, you? I would have just been like you, injured all the time. I wasn't injured all the time, just <laughs> most of the time. It surprises me. Switch it on and off. It surprises me that McManaman wasn't a great trainer. That does surprise me a little bit. Why? He seems a bit more. Uh, I know he was kind of loosey goosey anyway when he yeah, played. Yeah, but he just he? he seemed a bit more kind of what's the word? Um, serious, I guess. Fowler, you, you knew was a bit of a Jack the Lad, but McManaman. Maybe they paired them together. They possibly. I don't know. But all, but all McManaman needed to do to train was to practice pointing. But at least ready for match At day. least those two <laughs> lads got onto the training field. Des Walker. <laughs> didn't even set foot on, and he should have seen when when he got dragged into doing say set pieces on a Friday morning he, he was and it literally lasted one ball into the box Des would start complaining Des you might as well go in and have a bat and he'd just go in it was just <laughs> he just caused so many what he just he hated it what was he complaining about he just hated having to do anything because he said well I can do this teach them how to do it see ya and he, used to, and he was right because we were all nuggets and he was absolutely brilliant at doing what he did and if he was wearing the shawl that you are currently oh, wearing he saw me flick now. it around his neck if he <laughs> saw me now I haven't told my other Des Walker story have I I'm not sure I no, can tell that story. You can't story. tell that story. Oh. That is wildly inappropriate. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Andrew. Before we go, it's nearly time to crown the winner of the SPMPL FTPL, which is the catchly titled Seppi's Menu Premier League Final Table Predictions League. We asked you way back in August to predict the final positions of the 20 teams in this season's Premier League. You are essentially penalised one point for every position. You're wrong. So if you predicted that Manchester City would be 20th, you're an idiot. (laughs) That's 20 points against your name. The aim is to get as few points as possible. So, with just the final day, plus a couple of stragglers uh, to go this week, here is the update of the set-piece menu, Premier League table final predictions, table league, Premier League. So just to be clear, the, the worst you could possibly do is 400 points. I think that might be right, but I don't really care. You've got each team 20. No, in fact, it can't be that. Does, does, does 19. 19. It's 19 times 19. This is, this is fascinating. Paul no, 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 Hartshall know the answer to that. Very, Carry on. very entertaining podcasting. So the current standings, top three, and it's still to be decided who will win, but I think the winner is just far enough ahead for to make a final day uh, damp squib. 
Koka Kalasinac, Stephen McGovern, congratulations, you're currently in third place, but it won't necessarily mean that you remain in third place. Diamond Lights is in second place for Aaron Atwood, and Peps A God, Colin Bright, is the current leader. They have 46 points wow, currently. Wow, that's um, impressive. Which is very impressive. We will uh, crown a winner on next week's podcast, and we will uh, explain to everybody how they managed to do it. Just to bring you up to date as well, and you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu uh, to have a look at this. And thank you once again to Best Man Billy for all the work, the sterling work that he has done to put this all together. Uh, we will finish the podcast with the four of us and our positions going into the final weekend. This is Everything to play horrible. for. Everything to play for. Rory, currently a creditable 43rd. That's not bad. Chinch, slightly less creditable, but still okay. 83rd. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugh, a terrible 211. <laughs> But uh, here's the kicker. Out of 300 <laughs> entrants, Stephen Wyeth, 295. Ooh, Stephen. If it I've wasn't crept up a little bit. Yes, if it wasn't the for the results hours. between uh, Swansea and Southampton, he would have been 298th out of Look, I just, 300. I just, hang, on, hang on, which one has he got? the most spectacularly wrong we will find oh, out brilliant. on next brilliant. week's set piece menu <laughs> and with the benefit of that obvious insight that I had at the start of the season I just want to I just want to let everybody know I will be giving you my World Cup tips if you oh. to make a few quid ahead of the summer so, so 40 odd 80 odd yeah. 43 no surprise really is come on yes you, you've done exceptionally how well how many points have I got uh, we'll come to that okay. uh, next week. That was merely a tease for everybody right. to go and see where you are heading into the final weekend of the season. Much is to be decided in the Premier League Predictions League on Seppi's Medu. Not so much, actually, in the Premier League. Don't forget how you can get in touch, and please do continue to send in all your tweets and emails at Seppi's Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, to Andy, to Rory, to Rory's ghost house across the road, to the birds for not tweeting too loudly, and for the man putting down his drill. And thank you to all for listening as well. We'll be back with another Seppi's Menu for you to enjoy very soon soon indeed and I am reminded that at the beginning of the episode I didn't actually say what the food is going to be we have had donuts with custard and the custard has genuinely Who's gone everywhere one spare. that's mine don't okay. touch it um, but Rory we are now going to be enjoying chicken brie and rocket quesadillas oh wow yes in to be fair to Steve he can't be expected to predict football leads when he's also got to crack cases. Yes. <laughs> Look, Terry R. Castle on the case. Don't yeah. tell me to predict Premier League tables. I've got business to be de attending to. Stoke <laughs> against Southampton. My Couldn't care less, mate. There's drugs going down. <laughs> My responsibility within the football industry is to describe what's happening. Of course it Not is. Not to predict. Not to have a clue about that, any of the occurrences. That was, that was wildly pompous, Why? <laughs> Take that back. That's actually one of the best pieces of advice I've got from one of the worst pe people I've ever met. My, one of my enemies. Uh, which you have was, enemies? I've got three enemies. <laughs> three, three enemies? Robbie yes. Savage. <laughs> Robbie Savage is not my enemy. Robbie Savage is my friend. <laughs> three <laughs> proper enemies? Yes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Are you going to name them? No. No. no they know who they are. Oh, um, Roberto Martinez. <laughs> Do you want me to sort them out for you? Yes. <laughs> At last. Send around our castle. <laughs> Roberto Martinez is not my enemy. He's just the one who used to he like doesn't like and you. doesn't anymore. Uh, but he's probably okay with me by now. No, uh, is that journalism is not clairvoyance. It's good advice that for any, any listening journey. Yeah, absolutely right. Your job's not to predict stuff. Talking of which, uh, Stephen and I uh, had a social occasion. Uh, this week, where oh. we went to an Indian restaurant, mm -hmm. 
and we just the two of you. We emptied no two other friends. Um, we emptied it on account of the fact. <laughs> Don't worry, it wasn't <laughs> you. you. It wasn't you two. It wasn't, it wasn't Chinch and Rory. It was two other friends, um, and we emptied it on account of the fact that uh, me and the other Steve. Uh, we're arguing very loudly about what we think Gareth Southgate's 23-man England squad will be for the World Cup. We disagreed on only two names, but it was about an hour's worth and very loud. <laughs> so, but journalism younger, is not clairvoyance, I think you'll find, you so it was still excellent debate. Well, it's, just, it's a bit hurtful not to be invited. I love when you barge, don't you? Uh, did you go to the Great Kathmandu?